Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me. And today, I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Here's my question for today. What is chronic pain? How are chronic pain sufferers treated by today's healthcare system? Well, today's guest has some answers. She is Anya Grace. She is the owner of a professional health advocate business. She is a chronic pain sufferer of 18 years. Her professional experiences include medical knowledge, crisis counseling, small group facilitation, public speaking, and personal and family consulting. Anya is a passionate advocate for those with chronic pain and illnesses. She desires to educate families and medical health professionals on the realities of chronic pain. Her long-term vision is a medical system that surrounds the patient with a knowledgeable team of care managers, physicians, advocates, specialists, the patient, and the patient's family. This team would develop a personalized plan that provides continuing support, compassion, and the promise of hope for a viable quality of life. And Anya is also a chapter contributor to my charity patient safety anthology titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. And I am really looking forward to delving into this topic that we have not thoroughly discussed in the past. So welcome to the show, Anya. Well, thank you for having me, Pat. I'm I'm very honored to be here as a voice for people who don't have a voice in many areas. Thank you. And you know, before we get into some of the real issues here, I think just to give a little perspective to your situation and who you are and why you come to this, can you share just briefly about you and your health journey? Absolutely. I am an 18-year chronic pain survivor. It all started by an accident that led to emergency surgery where they opened me up from stem to stern in the abdomen. And I had a collapsed lung and almost died from the surgery that I had. After I recovered, they found out that they left me in bed too long in the hospital. I had some lung issues that weren't taken care of, so I had to have major lung surgery. That lung surgery left me with chronic pain called post-thoracotomy syndrome, which is very painful. I get bouts of pleurisy, which if anybody has had pleurisy before, they know that it's it, a continual day and night pain that never releases itself. And fortunately, I've been able to reduce those bouts of pleurisy to a minimum of a few times a year. In 2010, I had an accident while I fell 14 feet. Um, I fell on my head and my back. I messed up my back and I had a closed head injury. And after that, fibromyalgia came. And oftentimes fibromyalgia does come after serious accidents because our nerve systems are simply overloaded. So I've been living with those kind of issues. Oh, Anya, what... 
what a time you've had and, and what qualifies as chronic pain? According to the U.S. Pain Foundation, Pat, chronic pain is defined as pain that persists most days or every day for six months or more. Some individuals' pain can last a lifetime. Um, it can go from mild to severe to annoying, disabling, or intermittent to continuous. So from your experience of living with chronic pain and helping others with it, what are the major issues people with chronic pain would want others to hear or know? I have a support group I started here in this community, Pat, and we talk about these things all the time. I feel that there are three major issues. The first one is that we feel greatly misunderstood. Chronic pain is essentially an invisible illness. So when you tell somebody you have it and you're dressed appropriately and you're walking and talking, they don't know what's going on inside of you. And when you park in a handicapped parking space, as my sister said when I got my handicapped sticker, well, this is fine, but don't use it when you don't need it. Well, the reason I got it was that I need it all the time. So if there's a misunderstanding there. The second thing is judgment. And that goes along with misunderstanding. Um, when we're out in public, we feel those eyes looking at us. I have someone in the group who is a young woman. She's in her early 20s, and she has to use either a wheelchair or one of those motorized carts in the stores. And when she stands up to get something from the shelf because she can't stand, people look at her. When she gets a motorized cart, people look at her. And it's just an unfair judgment. We already feel bad ourselves for not being able to do things like a normal individual. And to have that judgment on us is almost worse than the pain at times. Our families do it. Our friends do it. They don't necessarily want to or, or know that they're doing it. But when we cancel plans or we need assistance with something, they don't understand how bad we are really crying out for help. Third thing I feel is loneliness. And this is because of the first two, because we're misunderstood and we're judged. So we isolate ourselves. I spent about six years of my life inside my house. Um, I had people who brought me food. I was in bed three out of four weeks a month. You know, I did not go outside except to let my dog out. There was an extreme amount of loneliness. That leads, leads to desperation. That leads to suicidal ideations. It leads to all kinds of very tragic things. And because we don't get people to understand what we're going through, we just feel like the world has left us out to dry mm -hmm. in our deepest, darkest moments. Wow. What a lesson to everyone who is listening. The next time you see somebody, as you say, parking the handicap and they're not visibly limping or somebody using one of those electric carts, come on, have some compassion. You never know what somebody else is going through. And as you say, it's invisible. So how do you suggest that we add heart and compassion in our medical system for the chronically ill? But we probably need to just talk about it as far as the public in general, but let's focus on the medical system. How do we add heart and compassion? There needs to be a consolidation between traditional medicine, non-traditional medicine, physical therapists, nutritionists, and an active communication with the patient and their family. How can the community support this in compassion? Get educated. Get educated about 
what that illness is. Many people, for instance, don't know that multiple sclerosis is, um, begins in the brain. That there is a detach sometimes between um, how this person thinks. They think of multiple sclerosis as not being able to walk or having seizures, but it actually starts in the brain. So once you educate about yourself about that, if you are among people who have certain illnesses, I think you become more compassionate and understanding to them and in that way supportive. Oh my, that is profound yet simple. It's probably easier to have compassion and heart if you are educated and understand the problem. Hopefully people could just have heart and compassion because that's the thing to do. But yes, the education, once you know something and understand the mechanism of it, I would imagine it would be easier to exhibit heart and compassion. So why do you believe it's important now to reach out to people who have chronic illnesses? Well, according to the U.S. Pain Foundation, there are 50 million adults who have chronic pain. And 20% of those, that's in the United States, and 20% of those live in serious pain every day. Pain is the leading cause of long-term disability. There has been over $635 billion spent on chronic pain every year. Right now, the opioid epidemic has put chronic pain in a very difficult situation. The doctors have shied away. They completely swung the pendulum to the other side. So people who were on opioids for a long time, as I was, like nine years, they started saying to them, stop, no more. This is your last prescription. And I know four people in the group that happened to. This is your last month's prescription. There was no weaning to it. The Veterans Administration did that to our veterans. I mean, people can die when this happens. People get strokes. They get heart attacks. They've been increasing their visits to the emergency room because of this. I know three people who had to go to the emergency room. Finally, finally, the CDC has looked at these emergency room visits and has said, uh, Practitioners, you're not doing this the right way. What we recommend is a 10% decrease over a certain length of time for opioid reduction. And people have been decreasing it because of what their doctor has been doing at 30 to 50% or more over a month. No, how dangerous is that just to pull a drug from somebody? Yeah, and it's very dangerous also because it's forcing people to go to unsafe, unregulated drugs such as supplements, which they don't know what could do to them, especially when mixed with prescription drugs. There's going to be an increase of alcoholism. There's going to be an increase of street drug use. And my concern is an increase of suicides, which has happened. In 2014, at least 10% of suicides, again, according to the Pain Foundation, were caused by people with chronic pain. Now the CDC has come out, and I just read this yesterday, that between the months of January 2017 to the month of December 2018, there's been an increase in suicide by 25%, Pat. And those are the years when this opioid crisis was at its peak. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of issues coming together right now that are increasing that, but I surely bet that this is part of it. What about uh, the use of medical marijuana? Is that a choice? The state I am, they just made it legal. Unfortunately, 
it's very expensive. And what you have to go through to get it can be expensive as well as take a lot of energy. You have to see a special doctor. You have to pay him $250 every year to be a, to get your card for a baggie full, which will last you about a month if you smoke it. There's It's cost 400 to $800 for this. And there are traditional doctors, I've met two of them, who will not treat you if you are on medical marijuana. They send you to a psychiatrist to get off of it. This is so tangled up in the wrong way. Yes. So what is your desire for those who are feeling alone and devastated by their illness? Because this has got to make a person be in such a lonely state. Yes, it does. And it often gets desperate. My desire is looking for the joy in the little things. My dog brought me through so much of it. And I always ask people in the group, if you don't have a pet, please consider getting one. A cat is minimal work, but they can yet give you so much love and affection. Even that little bird feeder outside, look for that and realize that that bird is a precious gift that was sent to you. And most of all, don't ever, ever give up on yourself. You are important and get encouragement in whatever way that you can. Reach out to support groups online. Reach out to doctors who are out of state. Reach out to those people who will advocate for you and encourage you because you are important. Oh, I'm so happy you mentioned pets. I just narrated an audio book for a gal. Her book is called Rio, How My Dog Saved My Life. And this woman was going into a great state of depression and, and rescued this dog. She worked with the dog. He became a show dog and it just pulled her out. And uh, I know personally, I've been rescued by 13 cats. I have 13 cats that I care for. And so when you're putting, when you're putting that energy into some other being and, and receiving that unconditional love, that really can help with loneliness. So Thank you for suggesting that. I think that's a huge um, answer to part of the problem. So we talk about honesty in healthcare. What do you think is the core issue right now that is not being addressed in our face-to-face -face visits with our healthcare providers? Well, Pat, I think it is trust and honesty. Since the opioid crisis, the patients don't trust their doctors anymore. And their doctors aren't being honest with them of why they are taking them off. I looked at the rules, and there are certain guidelines and rules set by the CDC, and the ones that the doctors are telling me are not the same guidelines. Now, sometimes the hospitals who they work for set their own guidelines, but sometimes the doctors just don't feel like they're comfortable enough, so they set their inner guidelines. Be honest with us. Come forth and tell us what is the real reason you are afraid to treat us with narcotics or anything at that matter. Doctors now look at their screens mm -hmm. and they really don't look at us anymore. And ask us real questions that instead of this 1 to 10 pain scale, which is for acute pain, pain that happens when you have uh, an injury, it is not for people with chronic pain. Most people with chronic pain live with 7 to 10 on the scale. So ask us questions like, how many times a week do you leave the house? Do you socialize? How difficult is it for you to get out of bed in the morning? What kind of activity exhausts you? 
those kind of questions, I think, can actually make a dialogue occur that can initiate honesty both between the practitioner and the person who has the illness. My doctor, my very first pain doctor, I went to him, I was so desperate. And he looked at me and he said, I understand, I've had eye cancer. And just him sharing that little bit with me made a real big difference in how I trusted him. Yes, those questions that you suggested that a healthcare provider asks, those come from the heart, and it doesn't always have to be so clinical. And as you mentioned, which is spot on, the technology in the room allows the healthcare provider to lose so much uh, diagnostic value that they could gain if they actually looked at the patient as another human being and spoke to them and asked those kind of heart questions that you mentioned. I hope whoever is listening this takes this to heart. Absolutely. Yep. So if you could propose one thing to healthcare providers that would improve their visit with patients, what would it be? Many people who have chronic pain would say this altogether. We are not our medication list. And I will give an example. I was a patient advocate with a young woman who went for a neurology appointment and it was to diagnose a possible neurology or disorder. Before she even looked at her or touched her or examined her pat, she drew up her medication list on the screen, looked at it all and said, you take too many medications. Mm. And then he looked back at her and said, I don't think you have chronic pain. Oh. Oh. So we don't have an advocate in the room with us. Unfortunately, she had me. She was in tears by the end of the visit. And I had to, I actually asked the doctor to leave the room that we were done. Thank you. Because it was getting ridiculous. We don't prescribe these medications for ourselves. We see so many different doctors in the same offices that it is very common for one doctor to prescribe and another doctor to say, oh, you don't need this, I'm taking you off of it, without even asking us or telling us. We want to be involved in our health care, and that is disempowering us when people treat us as what's on the screen and not as a patient. Mm, mm, that is quite a story, but I've seen it happen myself 10 years taking my mom in and out in hospitals and doctor's offices. I've seen that as well. And, and you did exactly the right thing. If somebody came in and, and said, uh, you're on too many medications, I don't think you have chronic pain, I would pack my stuff up and walk out. <laughs> Absolutely. And not pay the bill. Thank you very much. Yes. Wow. What what a story. You know what? But you're making a strong case, though, for each patient to become educated themselves and empowered and to walk in to, sadly, but to walk into a doctor visit, knowing what questions you want to ask, knowing more about your situation than perhaps the doctor does so that you could be educated and empowered enough to stop them and have that intelligent conversation. Sadly, it puts the onus on the patient, but I think it's very much needed. The people living with the condition are the experts. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe doctors believe that. Mm -hmm. Well, there's only so much a single physician can cram in a brain or know or remember or keep up with. And there's a lot of new technologies and procedures and medications that come along. And how can they 
possibly or humanly keep up with all of that. So that's why I think it's important for a patient to come in and say, hey, I just read about this clinical trial. Not that you're challenging this person. I mean, obviously say it with class and grace and kindness, but uh, to be firm in your stance with that. So what would you like to say to people now who are suffering with their illness and feel trapped in their medical treatment? I just want to tell them that they matter. They're in this world for a reason. And don't settle for a poor quality of life. Keep keeping on. Keep searching. Six years ago, Pat, I was dependent on two types of narcotics, and I was on 285 pounds. I walked with a walker, and because I kept looking for things, I kept trying different things, even though it was exhausting, and because I had a friend who believed in me and told me that my quality of life was next to nothing, I started to listen to her and realize, wait a second, and now I own my own business. I started chronic pain support groups in the company. My life, my my health is not perfect, but it is so much worth more quality than it was. And theirs can be too. Just don't quit pursuing the answers because like you said, science is changing all the time and they're coming out with new techniques all the time. You are a blessing, Anya Grace. Thank you so much for sharing you and and this information today. So where can folks go then to learn more about you and to contact you? Well, my website is www.anya, that's A-N-Y-A, graceeducator.com. And my email, anya at anyagraceeducator.com. And I'm also on Facebook as Anya Grace BA. So any of those places they can get a hold of me, I usually get back within 24 hours. Even if they're just looking for some information or encouragement, please reach out. Oh, you're you're wonderful. So it's AnyaGraceEducator.com, A-N-Y-A GraceEducator.com, AnyaGraceEducator.com. Well, before we head out, do you want to leave us with any final words? I just want to say that you never know what life is going to give you. I never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing right now. And there is a plan for your life. So stick to your guns. Realize that you count and you matter and just keep going. And when you do get tired, rest. Take care of yourself. This isn't your fault. Don't beat up on yourself. But take care of you because you're the only you we have and we need you in it so stay here with us and help us spread the word what people who have chronic pain really need and that is love and compassion and freement from judgment well i'm glad the plan for my life caused me to meet you and cross paths with you thank you so so very much for sharing yourself today absolutely pat it was a pleasure on my part Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. My newest book just came out. It's called Highway to Heart, Humor, and Honesty in Healthcare. And I've been talking about it for months on this program, and you've heard some of the guest interviews. I interviewed 31 healthcare movers and shakers, And then I transcribed their audio interviews to text. That took a while. 
Then I spent months editing and going back and forth with each one of the 31 people to make sure that their chapter read as they wished. Then I had to format the book and finally published it to Amazon. And I have such great news because in the first two days, this book hit bestseller status in several categories. Seriously. So uh, for fun, I ordered special gold seals that say number one Amazon bestseller to affix to each book. So the book is titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare. It's a book for patients, providers, family members. I mean, if you are a human, you need to read this book because 31 people shared some real life and often harrowing healthcare encounters that ultimately speak to solutions to help keep you safe. And now it's a number one bestseller. And the frosting on the cake is this. This is huge. I asked the most famous father of the patient safety movement, Dr. Lucian Leap. I've had him as a guest on my show in the, in the past. I asked him if he would write the foreword, and he happily agreed. So talk about a proud moment to have Dr. Lucian Leap write the foreword of this book. So the book is now available on Amazon, but you can get it at my website. You can save $5 if you get it directly at my website. It's cheaper to get it there. It's at speakupandstayalive.com. So there you have it. Come back next week, same time, same place, but uh, never the same information. Until then, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive.